Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. We got a, some pretty interesting news today. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I will cover some very, some of them are troubling, some of them are expected. Da, 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 da. So let's get into news first. I do have an underdog token. I don't know that it even qualifies as an underdog because it's been around a while, but I'm seeing for the purposes of exposure, it certainly qualifies as an underdog, and I want to give it some attention and also try to refute some of the FUD that's been out there about it from my angle and perspective because I don't think it's getting a fair shake. From what I can tell, it's solid. But let's get into our news first off, and this may not resonate with anybody who's coming from outside of the United States, but I think it's it portends, P-O-R-T-E-N-D-S, things to come potentially in other places because as we've seen, a lot of countries tend to play follow the leader with the United States, which I don't like, but they do. So as we see patterns of this form, it may happen other places. The, there's a candidate for the governor of New York, and he's come out, and they've come out and said, you know, we, we, we need to stop this proof-of-work mining. I talked about it before. Energy uses deep, deep, deep. Proof-of-work deep, deep, deep is the narrative. Consistently be the narrative. It's it, every single time. It, it is what it is. It never stops. So he came out and he basically said, you know, we need to stop allowing firms to do that mining within the state limits. Now, China recently did crack down as well. And we know that anybody who's anti-crypto ultimately is pretty much cutting themselves off at the knees because crypto is what people want. We saw this way back with SHIB and New York, where New York had a ban on SHIB trading, which made no darn sense. And for the longest time, New York's had to resort to shady speakeasies and whatever in order to get their SHIB fixed. And then eventually they relented, gave in. And so now we have access to the SHIB. Now this candidate for New York governor, he's not the governor, but he wants to be the governor, and he's probably not going to be, with this announcement, wants to completely ban the crypto mining that's proof of work mining within state limits. If you heard a previous episode, I said that North Dakota is looking into opening up a little bit more on crypto. Well, it turns out that North Dakota wants to allocate land specifically for Bitcoin mining because they're no longer able to do fracking as the reason. Fracking, of course, deals with oil and with the Keystone and everything with the current Biden administration being anti and they don't want to support this. They said, okay, well, fine, we'll just go all in on Bitcoin, do, do, do. And, of course, North Dakota has been one of those states that's been a little bit more embracing of these kind of incumbent technologies since we're trying to force out the ones that really can make money. North Dakota needs that money. So there's an opportunity for them to make some money for their citizens and do something that the citizens actually support. So all New York's going to really do is drive those people over to North Dakota, which is going to spike North Dakota's GDP and hurt New York. Because all that does is hurt New York. It hurts the citizens. And when you hurt the citizens, you're hurting tax revenue. It doesn't make any sense, but it's New York. And, you know, it's up to you, New York, New York. There was a report. This is a bunch of Ethereum. And the Ethereum is apparently trapped in a contract. So, of course, all of blockchain and all of tokens and all of everything that we think of in crypto is brokered by a contract at some form, whether it's a token contract or it's a swap contract or whatever. There's a contract that makes the thing happen. There was a report that there's billions of Ethereum that's trapped in a contract. And basically, it's kind of like a forced burn because you can't, nobody can access it, nobody can spend it, nobody can do anything with it. This came to surface allegedly from 
either an internal review or as part of the ETH2O work where they identified this and they said, okay, well, there's nothing we can do. We would have to fork it. And forking it, of course, basically means you're duplicating the code and then doing something with it off to the side. But there's no appetite to do this. There's no awareness they needed to do this. So you can see this on blockchain. It's openly exposed. There's almost half a million worth of Ethereum sitting in this thing, a little bit over half a million. And it raised more questions about, well, is this going to resolve, you know, is ETH2O going to be able to resolve this to where this kind of thing doesn't happen? And the answer is no. The truth is that's the true risk right now of cryptocurrency is that you can have currency that just gets stuck in a wallet and nobody can touch it without significant back-end work. And the fork doesn't really solve the problem because the fork is just simply copying the appearance of value over something else. You're not really solving the underlying issue, which is that that currency is still stuck, or at least the equivalent value of the currency is stuck in network number one. Now, as I said on a older episodes, your crypto doesn't really have value until you transact it. So when I say that there's roughly about a half a million worth, I'm saying that in the current value of Ethereum, that's how much it would be worth if you were to transact it. So it doesn't harm you any that it's there. In fact, as again, it behaves kind of like a burn because nobody can spend it. Nobody can transact. It, it's not going to go anywhere. It's like a long-term hold. However, the risk comes if somebody were to be able to get into it somehow it means they could feasibly cause some harm to the price value of Ethereum. How much harm? Nobody can know. But it's something to at least be aware of in how this works, that you have to be very careful in the wallets. You have to be very careful in exchanges. You have to be very careful how things work. And cryptos and contracts and wallets and swaps and everything come and go. And if they are abandoned for some reason, crypto can get stuck somewhere. There's nothing you can really do about it. Mr. Yi, and you're like, who? He used to be known as Kanye West. He legally changed his name to Yee. And he's completely against NFTs. <laughs> completely against NFTs. He came out and basically, I'm not going to quote exactly what he said, but he basically said there's not going to be an NFT. He's not going to do it. He wants to do real products in the real world. Let me tell you this right now. It's interesting that he of all people, of all people, would be against NFTs because he's one of those that usually chooses to do things that are outside of the outside of the grain and NFTs are against the grain by far while they're mainstream it's not something that it's against the grain in the sense that it it's not doing physical products in the real world so Kanye's kind of holding fast into his deal whereas you got people like Eminem who jumped on board Snoop Dogg's all in Snoop Dogg went feet first into it Melania Trump the former first lady jumped all into it so it's it is unique to see that i would assume though that as we see more, like with Nas, more musical NFTs come out, Ye is about to get yeeted. I don't even know what that word means, but he's about to get on board and say, okay, we're going to do this. Look here, fam, go ahead and give us stuff at NFTs and then move on to whatever it is. So I thought that was a, a kind of a funny thing. Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been up and down. However, it's been strong and consistent and resilient. And anybody reacting to the graph recently is not zooming out. You got to make sure you zoom out on the graph. If you zoom out, you realize it has been largely consistent. It is not anywhere near, it, it's volatile, but it's nowhere near this catastrophe that it's being made out to be. People are resonating with the recent that they bought in later than they're resonating because they, of course, might have lost tens of thousands of dollars in unrealized losses. However, if you zoom out that graph, you'll realize that no, it has not lost a significant amount over time and it's been very consistent in its performance and it's still up from all time low. 
So given all this, there's still an appetite for Bitcoin. We talked about the energy usage. People have talked about that the emissions of Bitcoin mining are actually very small. They're still in reasonable numbers. We're not this. It's just that the media presents it as though it's this major thing that's killing the climate, and it's not. It's actually a fraction of what you might see. And they always point at Argentina, but Argentina is not anywhere close to the first world level usage that you might see from any country in the UK or the United States or Canada or even Mexico for that factor. Well, because there's still this sensibility about the government and them trying to, you know, energy uses, do, 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 people are allegedly hoarding the Bitcoin and they're trying to get access to it because they suspect usually what that means is a bullish sentiment that at some point people believe this is going to skyrocket, it's going to go up. And so they're hoarding it so they can be in front of it. They don't want to make the mistakes of Bitcoin early on. Well, Bitfinex, Bitfinex is one of the exchanges. Bitfinex had been hacked before for Bitcoin. I believe that was five years ago. Apparently it got hacked again very recently. And this time it was, it was a significant amount more, roughly about 4 billion worth. And according to this, the Bitcoins are still there again, hoarding. They're not being sold. They're not being, nothing's being done. I talked about the whole tornado cash. The tornado cash, you can use a tornado cash with the Ethereum to basically cleanse it and hide your trail. Bitcoin's a little bit trickier because there's not, tornado cash doesn't by default allow you to do it with the Bitcoin, that network. It's predominantly Ethereum. I'm not saying you can't, not say it's not possible. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I'm saying that by default, it's a little bit harder to so-called launder Bitcoin than it is something else. So they're probably sitting on it either to just sit on it, which would be stupid because people are going to trace you down. On a side note about trace down, the the uh, hack for Suzuki, apparently they traced the people that hacked that one to a bunch of people in Asia and they got the guys. So they were able to find them and get them arrested. Most of this was kind of a social engineering thing. People online pulled their resources, came together and found these dudes. Same thing here. If you if they left their Bitcoin in the wallet, they could feasibly be found. So they're probably trying to find a way to solve that and somehow launder it through a tool similar to a tornado cash, but one doesn't necessarily exist as of today. So the fact that they're holding it, though, tells me in the, and that they haven't immediately sold out because they get a sold and got on a run, right, and then go to New Zealand or something. But the fact that they're still holding it and still waiting means they probably believe in it. They believe this thing's going to go back up. They believe it's going to hit all-time highs. That's my theory. And if they were able to dump it, yes, it could adversely affect Bitcoin, but I don't think it would have a significant impact in the long term because it is trending somewhat upward and it is on a pretty strong rebound. But if you zoom that chart out, I'm telling you right now, Bitcoin's in a very good position from my angle. I'm not as nearly as concerned about it long term. The only concern I would have would be around the government's meddling in business that's none of their own. The last piece of news I'll talk about happened some, a while ago, but I didn't cover it because I knew it was a big nothing burger, but I know some people are a little bit freaked out about it and I want to talk about it. Everybody's talked about this idea that hardware wallets, being cold storage as the majority of them are, are essentially supposedly safer than having soft wallets, meaning a wallet on your phone or something else, for retaining your cryptocurrency. And they said this because, of course, your hardware wallet is not connected persistently to the Internet. It pretty much relies on another device in order to synchronize what it needs to know. But beyond that, it just keeps your stuff safe. 
It's really no more safe, though, generally speaking, than putting it on paper, your keys, and tossing them in a vault somewhere. However, the hardware wallet has other securities where people can't get into it. Like if somebody broke in your house and they knew, let's say it's an inside job and they knew where to look because you flashed it or flaunted it or something, they could get that paper, get access to your, to your stuff. Hardware wallet's a little bit trickier, but they were always touted as being more secure. Well, a hacker got in because a friend of his said, hey, you know, I can't get in my freaking hardware wallet and I got a bunch of crypto here and we lost the keys and we can't get into this darn thing. So this guy puts a video on YouTube and says, yeah, I just hacked this thing cool. And he's advertising, I hacked it. I hacked the Trezor wallet. There was $2 million of crypto and I got in there. Deep, deep, deep. And all he really did was access the memory. So the memory inside the device apparently was storing the private key. And what he did is, it, it, I don't want to get over technical, but suffice it to say that there's memory that sits and it's waiting for data. And then there's memory that moves data from A to B. All he really did was intercept the data that was in motion to get that key. Well, that's a very easy hack, but it assumes that you knew that the key, how the key was stored and how that worked. And so in order for him to do that, he had to watch the data movement and, and watch for memory attacks for, to be able to intercept it. It's actually a very common thing on computers. Computers before the current time did not have secure memory when they were doing transactions. So if you did something on your computer where you are working credit card information, some of that information as it's processed needed to be temporarily routed and it's insecure while it's being routed and somebody feasibly can get access to it if they had access to your computer. Same thing as if you stored something on a disk somewhere and you didn't encrypt that disk, somebody could take the disk, plug into another computer, and if they had the same operating system or the ability to access the operating system, they could get access to your data. Similar type concept. I'm trying to oversimplify it. Well, he does this hack, and then Trezor comes out, who's the hardware manufacturer, and they say, well, that's an outdated exploit. It's not a concern for current users. Here's the flaw in Trezor's response. Number one, they do say that it's for current users. You're making the assumption that users are applying updates on a frequent basis. The fact that we still have people running Windows XP to this day means it's a faulty assumption. Number two, they said they fixed it in 2017. They couldn't have fixed it in 2017 because this device, if he was able to hack it now, that means it wasn't fixed. And so 2017's, that's a long time ago. Number three, he said it requires physical access to the device. Well, of course, it's a hardware wallet. <laughs> Number four, he says no record of any funds being compromised. Well, the funds were compromised because he got in. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like their message, I understand why they did it, but their message is bunk because he was able to compromise the, the money. It is true that yes, you do have this issue where some, apparently you knew about it and you were trying to work it to fix it. That's true. But the truth is, no, you do have a problem. Maybe you did fix it now, but because it, it surfaces the risk of hardware wallets that you're still assuming that you, the individual, are doing the updates religiously. And we know from Windows that people don't do that. So I talked about on a previous episode that you are basically the last point of defense. If you don't take the actions they assume that you will do, then things don't go the way that you expect them to. This sounds oversimplified, but that's the summary, the takeaway, the moral of the story. It's not that the thing was hacked, although that's a problem. It's not that Trezor allegedly fixed it, although that's a problem that they, they acknowledge now after the fact. It's not the fact he was able to get in. It's the fact that when you rely on a hardware wallet, or any wallet, 
you're assuming as the vendor, you're assuming that you, the person who holds it are going to religiously keep updates happening. Here's the reason why some of you don't. There are times when you'll do an update and you'll have to get locked out of the darn thing. It'll delete all the data. It'll get corrupted and you lose all the data that way or some other issue where that's the same risk. That's why many of you don't do it because you're, you're nervous. You don't trust them. I want to just lay the rest. If your wallet, hardware, software, doesn't matter. If it has a private key, it's usually 12 words in a string. It's 12 words deep. If you have a private key and you've backed it up, and ideally I would say paper, but if you've backed it up to where you can always restore it, that private key is not about the device. It's not about your phone. It's not about the app. It's not about the wallet. It's you. That's tied to blockchain. That has nothing to do with any device. You can take that private key and plug it into any other wallet times 10 and see your, your coin show up. So it's important that when you create a wallet, understand it's not tied to that device, not tied to that manufacturer. The difference is when you're on a central exchange like a Coinbase or a Robinhood or a Webull or a Bank or whatever, you don't have access to that key because you don't own the wallet. So you can't do the backup. You can't restore it. You can't keep it safe. That's what happened with BitMart. They couldn't get their stuff out because they didn't own the wallet, which is why I've said in my Wallets versus Exchanges episodes, if you're going to purchase from an exchange, great. Don't leave it there because you're going to be stuck. Get it into your own wallet that you can use any tool you want, any app you want. Get it in your own wallet. Get that private key. Back it up. If I were you, I'd back it up into paper and then file it away in a place that's safe. Keep it where you keep your other sensitive documents. Like, you, you know, you're told, make sure you got a copy of your birth certificate. Make sure you got a copy of your passport or driver's license. Keep your sensitive documents in the thing, whatever that thing is that only you know how to get to it and only you have access to it and it's safe and secure, fire protected ideally. I know that sounds tinfoil, but you just don't know, right? So that's what I would advocate is don't necessarily go off the promises of the vendor that your stuff is safe. It's only safe in as much as you do what they tell you to do. And if you lapse, you could put yourself at risk. That's the takeaway of this. So just keep that in mind. Feel free to search out online. You'll see multiple people tell you the same thing. Make sure that you are backing up those private keys. And if your platform doesn't give you the private key, to me, you should get out of it. Get into something else that does give you that private key so that you can keep your stuff absolutely safe. Now, let's cover one pit. This isn't really news, but it's something to keep in mind. And then we'll get into our underdog token. For the longest time, SHIB, a.k.a. Shiba Inu, has been at the top of the list with respect to overall sentiment, overall awareness, overall excitement, overall, you know, jumping in for whales and for, you know, retail investors. And a retail investor would be somebody that's a low level. They put a few bucks in here and there. And there. This has always been at the top of the list because it's notoriety. It's, it's in the name. It's in the media. It's everywhere. And so it's been holding this, this rise of it surpassed Doge at a point. It was catching up on Bitcoin and Ethereum as a token that people wanted to hold and wanted to have and wanted to believe in and its level of success, but also the amount of whales that put a lot of money into it. We're seeing now that other tokens are stepping up and largely, I believe, because of the move away from you know, SHIB because of their announcements. So their announcements come out and it's like, okay, we you're using bone instead of SHIB and you're talking about million dollar burns when we need trillion dollar burns or trillion token burns rather. You're doing 
lesser things. You're not doing what we think you should do, which I believe triggered a loss of investor sentiment. When you lose investor sentiment, it's hard to gain it back and they will take your, their money and they'll go somewhere else and give it to somewhere else. I believe that's a symptom of what we're seeing and why we're seeing a rise of like Solana's price is starting to eke back up. We're starting to see FTX is kind of going a little bit back up. We're seeing Doge kind of going a little bit up. It's down, but it's going a little bit up. Others like Sandbox. Um, there's a number that are there appear to be benefiting, uh, Cardano, benefiting from what appear to be whales moving money around. I talked about the moving of money to altcoins. Some of these are altcoins. Some of these are not altcoins, but we're seeing money move away from SHIB. That's the point. And SHIB's price has never recovered. Not only is it below the all time, the original all-time high, but it's never really recovered to the initial velocity momentum, despite the fact it's got good volume. It's never been able to get back to the, the performance that it was doing before. And the reason I'm calling out SHIB is that Satama has the same problem. Satama has not had the same volume, the same velocity, the same popularity, the same stability that we once saw of it prior to the failed Vegas event. And sentiment plays a big factor in all this. And I can't state enough how sentiment plays in the success or failure of a token in the short term. Satama now has been around. It's not even, I don't even think a year yet. And, but it's still strong compared to other tokens, but it's not strong compared to where it should be. And I think that's an important distinction. When you are a token, you create this expectation, which they did, and you fail to meet the expectations, you're going to harm investor sentiment. When you harm investor sentiment, the token cannot succeed like it should. The reason that's important and critical is that if it's not able to succeed like it should, outside investors who are looking in think something's wrong, right? And something is wrong with Satama. I don't think anything's wrong with SHIB. I think they made a bad decision, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But something's certainly wrong with Satama. They got issues over there. So I don't think that there's enough appreciation from the Satama team and the SHIB team and Floki and all the other you know, cryptos I've talked about around how investor sentiment can make or break you. And you'll sit and you'll look at, well, we're up a little bit. We're going up a little bit. You're, you're, it reminds you of the wrestling business and Jim Cornette where he says, you know, you're cheering because you got a million viewers, but yet we used to have 10 million viewers back when I was doing it. So I'm not impressed by your 1 million when I was doing 10 million. Same concept. It's, it's like certain tokens, they, they celebrate any win that you can. That comes across as desperation. And I'm not trashing them. I'm saying what we need to do is get back to some reality making smart decisions so that we don't harm investor sentiment, I think is how we get away from that kind of tanking that we're seeing from these tokens that at one point were at the top of the game. I mean, we were talking like shit was at the top of the game and it's starting to lose that position because the expectations are not met because you're making decisions that are not in concert with the right thing to do. They're, they're not making the right decisions. Their logic is their logic. It's their project, right? That rhymes. But the point is, Stop doing the bad decisions that take the token. On the flip side, something like Shinja, Shibnobi, I talked about before, and goes to investor sentiment. The flip of this also is your community and your responses. I always criticize Satama, not the project, but the devs, the team, the people. You've heard me on multiple episodes, and I've actually republished certain other ones where I've specifically said, I think that the only thing holding Satama back at this point is the devs, the people. Because for whatever reason... They don't want the smoke. They're not willing to come on shows that are not kissing their ass and, and say, look, 
we're here. Give us the hard questions, and we'll do our best to answer them and hopefully fix what's there. And there have been people that have chimed in on social media that would love to help them. And then you got other people who we know are lying who come out and say, no, this is fine, nothing to see here. And we know they're lying. You know it's crap. Because at the end of the day, there's a process and a flow and expectation. And they're not meeting it. Shinja apparently now is getting the fallout from some of this. The Shibnobi team, I think it's starting to decline into a bit of toxicity, which is disappointing because I think Cliff is a decent guy, generally speaking. But I do do think toxicity is starting to inject itself into the Shinja side because I was on their AMAs. I think I covered this on social media. And it was, a, it was terrible. It was horrible. And I was disappointed to hear that. And I've invited Cliff on the show. I get no response. I'm, I would love to talk to them because I do think that some of their stuff, they have the right idea. But I, it strikes me that they may be in over their head. That's the same thing. If people are willing to help you because you're in over your head, let's talk and let's have that thing. Shinja strikes me as they want to try to beat Shib or excuse me, Satama, and that's the wrong approach. I don't think you try to beat Satama off any effort that you do. I think you simply do it because you're that much better than them. And right now we don't have evidence of that. They've got whales that bought in, and so they had some excitement, but they also have whales that are dumping on them. They just had a 200 ETH dump literally minutes before I recorded this. And then a 100 ETH dump and an 88 ETH dump and a 70 ETH dump. Now, could this be influenced from people on the Satama side? Could. I don't want to see it because it harms everybody. Like, do you understand when we create these toxic communities and these toxic battles and we don't, we don't want the smoke, we're not willing to have the conversation with people who are neutral and unbiased so that we can help you improve investor sentiment, this is what it turns into, a bunch of dumps on either side. Satama had a 211 ETH dump yesterday. Shinja just had a bunch of dumps of pretty much almost 400 ETH, actually a little bit over 400 ETH today. This should not happen. We shouldn't see these extensive levels of dump harming what could otherwise be good projects. I've been bullish about Shinja, the project. I'm not a fan of their team, their developers, their people, because I think that they're, they're duck and smoke, frankly. And then same with Satama. I'm not a fan of the people. I love the project. It's just being abused. And so now we're seeing Shinja decline with the same toxicity that we saw before. The net effect, of course, is that people are just jumping over to the next altcoin in the list, which appears to be Shib Doge. It's, it's, it's not good. It's not good for any investors that we see this kind of stuff happening. And we want to help. Like, there are many of us in the business that would love to help you, but you're going to need to set your ego aside and say, you know what, we need some help. We would like the help. And put it to the test. If our suggestions don't get you anything, you don't have to continue the relationship, but at least reach out, have the conversation, and most importantly, be willing to take hard questions because I'm not going to softball you and many of us are not going to softball you because that's not what you need. What you need is to hear the hard truth about what you're doing wrong and you need to be open about the fact you're doing it wrong from the lens of somebody who's watching and has experience in these various aspects. So at the end of the day, I'm concerned now because it seems like a lot of this toxicity is starting to spill over into other projects and I don't like to see that because there's no reason for it. But it is what it is. We have, no, we have no control over what we have no control over. Let's go ahead and get into our underdog token. And I went back and forth on this one. There are two tokens that I wanted to really cover. One of them I believe is a straight up, I, I, I believe, I don't think it's a scam, but I think, it's, I think it's sketchy as all get out. And then the other one I think is solid, but everybody else thinks it's sketchy. Like it's this weird paradigm and i'm not sure how we got to this point where 
you know, I'm so diametrically opposed to some of the regular retail investors. There's three type of investors. There's the FOMO type of investor. They're, they're just going to react every time they see the graph. They never zoom out. They just react. Every time they see red, they're FOMO selling. Every time they see green, they're FOMO buying. They're the FOMO investors. Then there's the what I call the gamblers. The gamblers are the ones that don't really care about the graph as much. What they do care about is the risk, right? There's something that looks like I can make 10x, 100x, let's fucking go, people. And they'll just buy in because they think they make a lot, of, a lot of money. They're the gambler types. Then there's the fundamentalists, the ones that they their stock market through and through, and they want it to behave like the stock market. So they want limit orders and stop buys and stop sales, and they don't want it. They don't even care about movement of the price necessarily. They put in the basis, and they want to be able to hedge their losses and all this stuff. And the FOMO crowd is so large. They got to be like eighty percent of the total. There's so many of them. The FOMO people in and out. And they're the ones that criticize me when I say, I, I think this is a joke. I don't think it's good. You might make money, but I don't think it's worth your time. And I get all beat up. Like on YouTube, we have the snippets on basic cryptonomics, and that's getting really popular. Apparently, people like it. And I cover different projects, and I get different feedback, and it's like, geez, can't you tell that this is this? And it's like, well, yeah, but make money. Do, do, do. Cool, but I'm not just about whether you make money or not. I'm about long-term and about sentiment and about fundamentals and about tell me why you think that this is worth your time. And if, as long as it's a strong case, we can have a conversation, ideally have the token on the show. So I, I looked at these two projects and I'm like, I got to cover one of them today and then one of them another day. Which one should I cover first? The one that I believe in, but everybody else thinks is a scam or the one that I think is a scam and everybody else believes in. Ladies and gentlemen, I chose the one that I believe in. And the reason I did is because I don't think they're getting the same exposure. And I think that's unfair to them from my angle and my perspective. And I do think that it's a solid, from what I can see, project. And so I'm going to talk about them first and cover them. And just to be clear, I did actually cover a sense, you know, as far as the process. So the token I'm going to be covering is called Multi-Chain Capital. Multi-Chain Capital, that's mchain.capital. It, it, it's on the Binance and Ethereum Smart Chain. So that's two chains. Let me tell you the reason that I purposely chose and the reason I think this one is a solid bet that I don't think is getting a fair shot on it. If you understand the multi-chain concept, multiverse has the same thing. Uh, Thorium has the same thing. The Libero has the same thing. There's a lot of these that are doing this similar concept where they exist on multiple networks. And as they exist on multiple networks, they essentially farm the value and profits from multiple, and then they benefit all of the network holders equally. So this is a popular thing right now. And they're usually a capital of some kind, right? Um, or a finance. When I looked at multi-chain capital, the only reason I even knew about it is because I got it for free because it was on any printer and you can claim uh, stake rewards on any printer for MCC. So I did it a couple times because why not? And I was watching it and I did some research and I saw a bunch of people trashing it. It's a scam. It's not going to succeed. It's garbage. It's this. So I'm like, okay, let me take a look a little bit deeper. Let me explain this to you, okay? This tool, mchain.capital, go to site. They are upfront, transparent. They said, we're here about passive income. That's what we're doing. And we're on multiple networks, and we're going to add more. And we're going to take all these from multiple layer networks, and we're going to give them back to you guys on Ethereum and Binance. So you get reflections from the entire portfolio. It's farming as a service, which that's a definition of the term, and it's hyper-deflationary, and they use the concept 
what they call a black hole. So basically every time there's a trade, a small bit sent to this black hole. Rich Quack has a similar mechanic. And so this compounds. So as reflections happen, those are getting sent to the black hole as well. And then there's long-term investments into stronger projects over time. So they're investing on your behalf as well. It's fully certic audited. And it also has a solidity audit, which of course, you know, I don't really rate the solidity audit, don't care, because that's about code, not fundamentals, not function, not structure. The certic audit came back and they, they it was a pretty clean darn audit. The only thing they had the issue was, had to do with the, um, the major, like I talked about before, it's, you know, usually centralization and everybody has that same problem. It's not, it usually doesn't mean too much. I run it through a different tool. I talked about market move and market move loves it. Market move thinks it's pretty darn good. Market move seems to think that the, uh, the ownership, uh, ownership is renounced. It seems to think that, but the weird thing is that the owner still has certain privileges. So I don't know what that means, but they seem to think that it's renounced because they didn't claim that it's not. And the liquidity appears to be locked as far as we can tell. That would be on PancakeSwap, I believe it is. 83% of it is locked, yes, on PancakeSwap. And then the number of holders is in healthy state, and there's nobody that holds more than, you know, half a percent of, you know, the stake. So there's no, like, super whales in this one. That's that's good, because it means nobody can really tank it. And, and that's important. I, I want to stress how important that is, that so many tokens have that problem of, whales getting involved in the mix and then they can harm the project satama has that issue that's why we have those dumps shinjas has the issue that's why they have those dumps there's a eight percent tax four percent reflections four percent goes to the treasury so that they can find the find and buy into the projects what i really love though they do a masterful job of updates signature updates they have an embedded tool and i believe it's medium based where they tell you the things that they're doing the multi-nodes the capital the flagship product, which is multi-print, which is kind of a variation copy of any print, uh, long-term plans, farming strategy, hyperdeflation. They're telling you what they do. They're telling you why they do it. They're telling you what their plans are. They're telling you where they're going as a project. It's amazing. I love it. Hercules, Hercules, that no other project seems to want to do. They have the FAQ that tells you about the audit. They tell you about the liquidity being locked for 100 years. They tell you about the tokenomics. They break it down. Like they tell you everything they need to know. It does not appear to be fully docs that I can tell, but it does have a few people that have identified themselves and they have names in certain places and they all have social media accounts. Looks like Twitter is their go-to for that. Some people have photos, some people don't. And even there are people that do administration on the social media. The social media is the one of the only two things that I don't like because I don't see that they support their Reddit account and i do think reddit as i've said about boda i do think reddit needs to be a key place that you find and maintain and cultivate your community because it reddit's one of the go-tos when you search now of course they do you know telegram media medium and their own site or excuse me twitter yeah twitter medium and their own site very well so they are searchable generally speaking but reddit has a masterful number of users across the world i think reddit's what you should embrace 100 percent when they have an indicator that tells you how much is burned. And as it stands right now and the velocity they're going to go, this is in a really good shape. It looks like people are going to be in good profits at some point in the future. And they have an amazing dashboard. You go into the deal and it shows you everything that's happening. It shows you where the assets are, what network they're on, what the liquidity is looking like, the supply mechanics, the buybacks that have happened, everything. And then there's a bridge where you can go from Binance to Ethereum and vice versa. I, I'm amazed at what they built. Listen up, gentlemen. 
and ladies, here's the one thing that I don't like. The one thing I don't like. I do not see a white paper at all. If it's there, I'm not seeing it. And that's a problem because your white paper should be prominent right there, immediately easy, able to find. If you go to docs in that dashboard I talked about, it takes you to medium. Medium is not a white paper. Medium is not even a get book. Like medium is medium. That's not a white paper. You need a white paper PDF that I can download and have access to. If it's somewhere on your site, it's not in an intuitive place far as I can tell. Because I looked everywhere, scrolling up and down, and I don't see it. And it needs to be there. Everything else, man, I love this thing. I love the way that they've done the web. I love the way that they've done the tool. I love the tokenomics of it. I love the taxation of it. And so far, it's been a pretty strong, reliable deal. So number one, I need a Reddit site. You need to support your Reddit. I'm sure there's one out there, but you need to support it and back it as an administrative tool for communication. Second, white paper. I need it. It needs to be there. PDF on your site so we know what you're doing and we can assess it. That's it. Multi-chain, mchain.capital. Take a look at that one. I think it's solid personally and see if it makes sense for you. That's all I got for you folks. I will check back in with you tomorrow with more information.